0: Hi, everybody. This is Tony Kahn, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. Morning Stories was one of the very first podcasts ever produced back in 2004. And in the past two years, if we've learned anything from doing this, it's that podcasting is a new medium. It's not radio and television reheated in some microwave oven, but it's a whole new, fresh dish with a flavor and a nutritional value all of its own. And I think the freshest thing about it, for sure, is the relationship that it lets us form with you, the people who download us. Podcasting is not a one-way thing like a broadcast. It's a conversation back and forth. So this week's Morning Story, we're going to dedicate to you and to a few of the stories and the feelings and the conversations and the emails that you've cared enough to share with us. And I'm here, as always, in the studio with Gary Mott. Hiya, Gary. These letters, I mean, you can't make them up. They're so rich. Our first letters are from a gentleman named Michael in Winnipeg, Canada. It's a response to last week's podcast about Ilona Kufal, a woman who is the daughter of a Nazi and who told us a story of what it was like to grow up knowing that her father's generation in her country had sent millions of men, women, and children in trains to their deaths in the concentration camps of World War II. He writes... Not unlike Ilona, both of my grandparents fought for Germany, one in the army and one in the SS. The last thing my parents would ever do is share the family history with us. In fact, we were simply told that they had fought in the war and that we were never, ever to mention that to anyone, not to our friends and definitely not to our teachers. We would get snippets as we got older, but nothing that would be any kind of story. My dad didn't want to talk about what his father did in the war. That is, until his father passed away a few years ago, and I was asked to give the eulogy for a man I hardly knew. And then the stories came. The battles he'd fought in, his brush with death, shot through the neck, being decorated a war hero. But what really made him a hero to me was what happened after the war. He was captured by the Soviets and sentenced to death. He managed to escape the night before his execution and find his way to West Germany. Once there, he found out that his family was still stuck in East Germany. So, being wanted by the Soviets, he crossed back into the East without papers and smuggled his family to safety in the West. If it wasn't for his bravery and love for his family, I wouldn't be here today. And I knew none of this until he had passed away. And here's my point. There are many of us who live with the guilt of what our ancestors have done, but that doesn't mean their stories shouldn't be told. We cannot expect to grow unless we hear as many different stories as possible. We've come a long way, and I think we can work through the world's current difficulties as long as we're willing to listen to one another. Best regards,
1: Michael from Winnipeg, Canada. Lona's story is so similar to, to mm-hmm. this guy's experience. You have to wonder how many of our listeners out there have a memory of, of a parent, a grandparent, and their involvement in that very dark time. We got a wonderful letter from Cindy in Reston, Virginia. I'm 44, and I've recently come to terms with the fact that my father disowned me when I was 24. I was in love with a black gentleman, and my dad couldn't take it. I was his baby girl and the one of his five children most like him. We stayed estranged for the next nine months, and then he was killed in a car accident in Zurich. Everyone always puts on their sad face when they hear this story. They say, oh, if you'd only known that you had so little time left. But I don't agree with their thinking. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I've been angry, I guess, and that anger kept me closed to any memory of him. But in the past few years, I've let myself think about it from some distance, and I see that it was his gift that enabled me to stand up to him like that. He didn't raise me to be a racist. He taught me to stand up for what was right, even at great cost. He instilled in me the personal dignity and sense of decency that enabled me to even attempt such unheard-of behavior in my family. It was a defining moment in my life one that clarified many things for me. I'm so thankful that I can finally separate these things from the cruelty and small-mindedness of his other action, and I really know he was proud of me, even if he wasn't able to see it at the time. Hmm. You know, sometimes you write to tell us not only where you're coming from,
0: but also where you take us uh, when you go about your travels. And here's a letter from a very different climate from Virginia. It comes from Greenland, which uh, actually should be called Iceland in terms of its if it's real climate. That's where polar bears hang out. And uh, also our, our letter writer, a gentleman named Bruce who uh, took us along uh, on an expedition that he was doing for the Arctic and Alpine Research Institute at the University of Colorado. He writes, "'Nine of us were working in a very small camp that we established on the ice sheet 81 degrees north in Greenland by being dropped off by a small plane with skis.' Our days were so busy with the chores of surviving on a nice sheet, setting up camp, melting snow, fixing generators, digging out things buried by snowstorms, that there was little spare time for iPod listening. Then I had the misfortune of sustaining an injury to my knee while digging out heavy cargo boxes. I had torn the cartilage. The excruciating pain lasted several days and left me somewhat immobile. While lying in my tent during fierce storms that lasted for days, some of which tore apart our tents, I wondered how I was going to manage the rest of my time there, as it was going to be a couple of weeks until the plane could come to get us. That's when WGBH Morning Stories came in. Hearing your comforting voice that managed to drown out the howling wind and snow buffeting the tent, I was able to escape my temporary prison cell of pain and somewhat dismal circumstances. I listened to so many of them, they all blended together. In the end, I had traded my intimidating and somewhat dire surroundings for feeling like a child being read bedtime stories by my father or grandfather. (laughs) Later, when riding on a sled tied to the back of a screaming snowmobile headed for the plane across 40 kilometers of snow and ice. (laughs) I'm not laughing at you, Bruce. I just can't believe this. I once again had the earphones filling my head with the magic of the stories you seem to always find and tell in a way that makes all of us feel like everything is going to be just fine. We made it to the small Twin Otter plane, and for 11 hours, it flew us back to the west coast of Greenland, where I eventually made my way home, where a wonderful surgeon fixed my knee. Thank you for being there. Bruce, we can't thank you enough for letting us know that we were part of the team that finally got you out of Greenland alive. Still the question (laughs) does stay in my mind, why go there in the first place?
2: Alive is the word. It makes me feel alive to be in touch with almost primal uh, things from without and from within. No, uh, no office or lab or, or um, anything to make me feel important and to be reminded of my frailty and, and just the magic of my existence. And um, I think that's what keeps me coming back. When I go into the field with a small group of people, um, we are everything for each other. We have to take care of each other, and there's a bond that is unlike any other. That um, you have taken care of each other in very extreme circumstances, and it's a it's a kind of relationship that you don't have with people that you you have in civilization.
0: I'm imagining that whatever morning story you heard had a constant backdrop of a howling wind. <laughs> Is that true? I mean or do you have really good earphones? I
2: did. I, I actually have the noise canceling headphones, which really took me to another place. So but uh you were you were part of the team.
0: Were other people aware that you were you'd established this relationship with a podcast? It's
2: funny. Uh they weren't. And it's kind of I never hadn't thought about it before now. Um I wasn't sure if people would understand and have the same connection that I would. Hmm. And so um, I guess I kept you selfishly as my special friend. <laughs> it's almost as if you're sitting in your living room having a very intimate conversation about things that we don't normally think or talk about. And I think it's because of that that it makes it seem very private.
0: You've probably given some morning stories the their toughest field test. Uh, which ones did you find yourself really responding to?
2: They all kind of blended together as as almost like a, a one long evening of stories around a campfire. But ones that I remember were talking about the pets and the bird that uh, the woman introduced you to that captured your heart was a great story. And there was also ones that were rites of passage about um, high school student, like getting out alive. I think was, what was yeah it called or
0: making it out alive. Yeah,
2: it was. Uh, calling to that part of everyone that's sort of been through a tough time in junior high or high school where it's just it's, uh, it's amazing we survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are trying times. Eye sheets are nothing. <laughs> a lot of the stories that you share with people are ones that they give us hope that remind us of the dignity of humans and the importance of our existence and the magic of it and our laughter and uh, these are important things to remember when things aren't going well and I think the world could use more of that.
0: Thank you, Bruce.
2: Well, thank you, Tony. I'm honored, and I uh, I will keep listening. Bye
0: bye. You know, Gareth, Bruce said listening to podcasts really is like a a conversation, and our listeners really have been our partners in the last two years, and hopefully in many more years to come, in breaking new ground in the way that we can tell stories and uh, actually even make
1: technical breakthroughs. Right? Absolutely. We heard from a guy. His name is Martin. He lives in Sweden. Hi Tony and Gary. Yesterday I flew from Riga to Stockholm, and as you probably know, it can be quite noisy in the cabin of a Fokker aircraft. Uh, spell it, would you? That's <laughs> <laughs> that's F O K K E R. he small plane, very yeah, noisy.
0: I can hear it now. He, he yeah. sent
1: along a picture. It's a little, you know, single-engine turboprop mm-hmm. flying tin can deal. Mm-hmm. My MP3 player has something called Equalizer, where I can choose from different preset combinations for different types of music and vocal listening. More or less by mistake, I changed from voc to rock, Mm -hmm. and suddenly, (laughs) Tony's voice became easy to hear, so now, now, flying will also be a potential private luxury time when I can enjoy your programs. A major technical breakthrough in podcasting, folks.
0: You can't hear our podcast, to switch it from VOC... ...to, to Rock. Rock. Thank you, Ipswich, for supporting this podcast, as you have every week. If you want to know more about them, go to their website, ipswich.com, I-P-S-W-I-T-C-H, a leader in file transfer software.
1: So we want to thank Martin for taking us along on that harrowing journey from Riga to Stockholm and we also want to thank Bruce for keeping us close on the ice sheet but don't keep us to yourself send it along, send that email morningstories at wgbh.org What do you have to do to get some
0: free nuts on this flight? (laughs) (laughs) So listen, with any luck we'll land soon and we'll be back with another podcast next Friday. Stick around, we'll see you then Bye bye
2: Morning Stories från Bostonstationen WGBH är ett av de få poddradioprogram som har en ekonomisk
0: sponsor.